Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 29th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Just so the Anti-Up Nation knows, because I think they need to know, because we're in a time of truth. <laughs> I'm sitting here, back in the headquarters of Annie, uh, waiting with bated breath for Scott to say, okay, let's do this show. He's in California singing Beach Boy songs, forgetting about the Annie Up Nation. He forgot about the Annie Up Nation today. I'm like, hello, Scott, I'm ready, I'm on early. Oh, no, I forgot. <laughs> That's all right, though, we'll forgive you. I, I, worst thing is I couldn't just pull out a Beach Boy song off the top of my head. There. That's, that's really bad. <laughs> Come on, California Girls. That was a whole, you know. Yeah, I see David Lee Roth ruined that. So. I know he did. He did. He ruined a lot of things. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, much to my uh, my partner's here, uh, humor. Uh, I had not forgotten the animation. I'm out here on location for like, I don't know, what, eight weeks this World Championship? Oh, man, yeah, it's crazy. You know, when I checked into the hotel here, they're like, oh, wow, 15 days, right? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not complaining. I always love being out here at Thunder Valley Casino Resort uh, north of Sacramento. And it is our Annie Up World Championship, always our big event of the year. And um, always good to come out here and see uh, friend friendly faces that I've seen before and uh, make new friends and Got a lot of friends that haven't been out the Thunder Valley before that are uh, shooting me messages saying, "Hey, I'll be out." So, and we're debuting our new, uh, like I call her itty bitty Annie Up Poker Tour patches. Um, <laughs> Chris Casenza approved size that everybody else is giggling about, but uh, wearing those now and uh, got a lot of people asking for them. So, if you guys do come out to Thunder Valley and find me, uh, let me know and we'll patch you up so you look good in the tournaments. Damn right, looks good. Um, but uh, start off uh, on a great, great note. They uh, this is the longest uh, World Championship series ever. It usually goes over uh, two weekends. This year's gone over three weekends, and um, I didn't make it out here for event one, which is probably why it just blew the doors off. Uh, One thousand five hundred ninety-five entries. It was a hundred and fifty dollar buy-in, one hundred fifty-five dollar buy-in uh, multi-flight, and uh, there were people that got turned away. They just couldn't get get them in its alternates um so uh that was just uh shocked everybody out here that we had nearly 1600 entries for a single event so think about how many people they would have turned away had you been in the field yes exactly no they, I, yeah right yeah they'd, they'd have been like well, scott long there i gotta play they'd be demanding a fifth flight <laughs> that is huge though 1600 people that's pretty crazy 
Yeah, and then I was having dinner uh, with Ben Owen, the great uh, director of poker here on Monday, and uh, it was like, you know, hey, Scott, Monday, you know, we thought today was going to be our weakest day. We thought, you know, that, that there was probably going to be some kind of World Series bump. Um, you know, we thought people would obviously jump into this um, catapult, the 155 event one. I uh, didn't expect that many, but then we ex just expected Monday to be kind of um, slow. Oh, uh, actually, our slowest day of the series, and it didn't. It ended up with uh, more than 150 in each of the two events. I think like 177 in the morning event. So, um, really, really strong turnout here, and we're hoping it continues all the way through the end. We got some big events coming up. Another um, uh, big multi-flight uh, monolith, it's called, that starts today and runs throughout the weekend with multi-flights, and then of course next weekend is a world championship with a couple of flights. So big events on the weekends, and then uh, some real interesting uh, events uh, in between. Um, so the complete schedule and more info can be found at antiupmagazine.com/slash/world-championship. And uh, they also announced uh, something new this year: new player of the series title. Now, um, at all of our events. Obviously, players that cash get any a poker tour um, point, player of the year points, and right, uh, right. the top player there gets a um, suite and some other fun stuff out here for Thunder Valley for next year's World Championship. Uh, but this player of the series is being run specifically by Thunder Valley using a different point system. Um, but the player that has the most points after the first 15 events of this series will get a free main event entry. That's 1650 bucks there, kids. Sweet. Sweet. Lots of people talk about that and trying to play it. It has a cool little multiplier effect. So the more caches, more, more events you cash in, the more it multiplies your points. So, um, you know, they're really key on trying to make it so you couldn't just win one big massive event and be the player of the series. That doesn't make much sense, right? Right. So, um, so these, these grinders out here that are cashing in five, six, seven, eight events are um, got a really good shot at, at winning this. So. Um, if you're in the local area, this is a great way of coming out every day and um, trying to get 1650. And it's working. I'm talking to a lot of players that are like, you know, hey, I got to play a lot, bunch of events this week, so I get that 1650. Oh. Um, and then, of course, I played uh, two events already since I've been here. And, um, you know, in the anti lore of the World Championship, Thunder Valley, I should say, I have always cast an event here at Thunder Valley. Won a couple of them, made a bunch of final tables, except for the last series, the NorCal I right, shut out. Right. I remember that. Really, really sad, right? Um, so I sat down at my very first event um, on uh, Tuesday. I was uh, planning on playing the Six Max event at night because I, I usually do better in Six Max. But the morning event was the No Limit Hold'em Escalator event, uh, which I've played in the past I like. So the cool thing about this, I think the level start out at it started at 10 minutes or 12 minutes or something like that. But every level, they go up two minutes. So, you know, if it started at 10 and went to 12 and then 14 and 16, uh, all the way up until it was like in the 40s by the time we, we hit the final table. But um, but I, I decided to play that event instead because I had dinner plans at night and made a good choice, I think, because I ended up finishing eighth in that. Um, and um, I had, had one hand that I thought was, was interesting that people were shaking their heads at. <laughs> Um, so I'm in the big blind, right? And I check with eight tray monster, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I flopped two pair. It was ace three eight, and uh, I let out uh, thinking that you know, hey, that ace might might get me some action, and it did. I got two collars. Uh, boated up on the turn and shoved at that point, just because my stack was uh, at the point. It was kind of an overshove actually, but it was not a tragic overshove. 
and had a player, one of our longtime listeners, Matt, um, that thought forever and uh, and called off his chips with an ace. And, uh, and then <laughs> that insult to injury, I hit an eight on the river. <laughs> Quads. Uh, so I went from eight tray pre-flop to quads by the end. <laughs> eight trays a hand you double down with. <laughs> <laughs> double down, not double up. I'm like, uh, but man, so uh, so that that got me back uh, gunning and running and um, made it all the way to the final table and finished eighth and probably made a poor play so uh, to get eliminated. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about it so you guys can all make fun of me. Um so we, we got to the final table. Uh, we lost a couple players, obviously. Um, I had lost a right before the final table. I had a pretty I had a pretty large stack ever since that ace eight tray quad triple up. Um, all the way to I had uh, right before the final table. Um, somebody shoved and I overshoved with jacks. You know everybody's favorite hand, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, got everybody out of the way and he uh, spiked an ace um, on the flop and. Uh, now I'm short stacked. I had I don't know eight big blinds or something like that. Nurse those uh, throughout throughout the entire final table and uh, knocked two players out. And so I moved up to a new pay scale, pay, pay level, right? And uh, I was in the big blind. Um, and uh, the player that ended up winning, great player, Kevin O'Donnell. You probably remember him from the World Series coverage. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was in the small blind, and he had been very active the entire tournament. And um, he obviously raised, it folded around to him, and he raised. So at that point, I figured, hey, this guy's looking at me. He knows I have no chips. I'm probably going to fold everything but a monster. And um, so I just thought that maybe he was doing it light. And I had nine, eight of diamonds. Hmm. So I called and of course he had king seven of diamonds so he <laughs> killed my diamonds uh, but it didn't matter there weren't any diamonds and there weren't any nines and there weren't any eights and uh, I was out so generally speaking I know uh, you shove with a hand like nine eight you don't call off but I just thought I had a shot there that he was light and um, I could double through there and you know it was going to be a couple hands before I could even shove and I didn't have enough chips to really shove anybody out you know it was almost like a, it was an annoying little gnat right yeah, so, yeah. I don't know it felt like the right play um, it ended up being the wrong play obviously um, well the thing about it is that you know you're looking for a spot that you know you're at least going to get your money back you know, you're at least going to double through with what the play you're making and in this case I can see what you're saying because you know, you're like, okay, this guy. But the only problem with it is you're saying, okay, this guy might be light with what he. But it doesn't matter because no matter what, you know, he's not doing it with two unders. He's, he's gonna, you're gonna have to hit your hand to win. Whereas the other way around, you can still get them to fold and survive another round or something. So, but other than that, I mean, I don't really fault you too much there. It's a suited connector, and it's the type of hand that he probably doesn't have those cards. So you're increasing your odds of hitting it at least. You think. And you don't know he has diamonds, so you're thinking you got the diamonds on your side too. So I don't, re- I don't really fault you too much there. It's just you're right. The the element of if I shove first, then they have to know, they have to guess whether or not I have what I have. That they're going to think it's bigger than I have, and so they're going to maybe fold their random king or so. But yeah, I don't, I don't really fault you too much for that there. I, I, you know what I mean? Especially like you said, if you knew he was light and you could double through, and you knew your cards are probably going to be live. Yeah, you might as well. The only downsides, like I said, you have to hit it. That's what sucks. Well, yeah, I think the other thing that really factored in is that I forget what the blinds were at that point, but um, that big blind was a 
pretty significant chunk of my stack. And if I folded there, then I was going to put in another significant chunk of my stack in the small blind on the next hand and probably fold there and then get, what, uh, you know, another five hands before the blinds came back around where I could shove. And at that point, I, I, I think my shove would have been almost a call. Yeah. So, um, just thought maybe I'd have a better shot at, um, you know, my cards being live there and, and spiking a nine or an eight or getting lucky with the straighter flush and doubling up and give me some more breathing room um, to make another level two where I could actually shove and, and cause some problems for someone. Um, obviously, I would prefer a bunch of callers to be in that hand, then it would have been an easy call because then I would have had all kinds of money in there and I could have really doubled up. Yeah. Women learn, right? Well, congratulations on starting a new streak, though. Yes, yes. And then I thought um, last night's event, Lemon Omaha 8, which I always do very well in, uh, I was going to continue to streak, and I felt really, really confident when I got in there. I played really tight. Uh, and not, I mean, not tight, tight, but I mean, I, I didn't splash around like I, I is my weak week in Omaha, especially in the early rounds, you know, when you're playing for quarter 50 and you've got 15 dials in your stack or whatever. Yeah. You know, you start playing little hands. You know, I, I, uh, one of the great things here at Thunder Valley that they've added since I've been here last time is those little USB chargers at every seat. Mm hmm. At least in the main room, um, in the overflow room, they're not. But so I just plugged my phone in there and uh, you know watched uh, the convention last night, and uh, it kept me focused on that. And you know, uh, Limit Omaha is not one of those games where you really need to pay attention to your players too much. Um, so I didn't think I missed anything by that. And uh, start off great. I was just like stacking chips left and right. I flopped two full houses um, against the same guy. Disgusting <laughs> uh-huh. with me. Um, and then uh, just hit the driest. Um, run of cards ever i just i didn't have anything to play and then when i did play it you know it was ace deuce and it flopped you know king 10 9 or something like that so all that money was wasted um and just disappeared at some point (laughs) so i'll look uh look ahead Uh, i don't think i'm gonna play again until monday's horse event that's another one that i've won before so looking forward to that and we also have a heads up match next uh, championship next week that's always fun and Chinese and a couple um, couple other no-limit events. So, uh, again, like I said, the complete schedule, more info at com slash world championship. It's a great place to stay out here, a great place to play, so come out and say hi to me. And um, another Antioch event going on at the same time, uh, the Four Corners Series in Antioch Poker Tour Series at Sandia Resort and Casino in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, had its first two events, which were won by Jacob Brendan and Christopher Schlarb. And they have two more lead-up events scheduled for August 6th and August 20th before the multi-day main event Labor Day weekend. And more info on that series can be found at antiapmagazine.com slash sandia. Sweet. <laughs> You're talking for a long time. You got a beverage there or something? Yeah, I do. I, oh, I have, it's not Coke Zero. It's the Safeway uh, knockoff called Refresh with an E. <laughs> Zero calorie cola. It's all black and red. Like, Coke Zero is awesome. Except for yesterday, because, you know, here we have um, another great thing about Thunder Valley is they have mini fridges in your room, mm-hmm. um, not stacked with, you know, $47 Cokes that you have to buy. Um, it's just empty. So I always swing by the grocery store. I want to get in town, load up on some beer and soda, and um, try to shove as much of it in the mini fridge as possible. But I put a couple right underneath the little freezer area. Oh, yeah. And no, I'll just rock. It's like rock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I took it out uh, yesterday, and the, and the bottom had distended, right? It had frozen. And, of course, I'm an idiot, so I'm like, eh, I don't care if the bottom's uh, distended. I can drink it. And 
<laughs> opened it and it just started exploding. So I had to run into the restroom and leave it there. And it got all over the bathroom and I had to clean it all up. So now I'm, I'm being very careful with opening my refresh. <laughs> safe. All right, well, let me pick up the ball for you here. Uh, i got some other news going on. Florida Judge Teresa May Pooler has ruled that bitcoins aren't money in a case where two defendants face charges for allegedly using the online currency to buy stolen credit card numbers. Pooler said bitcoin isn't regulated by a central bank, presents no tangible wealth, and isn't physical like paper money or coins. Therefore, it's simply a barter transaction between two people, and there are no laws against a person selling his personal property. Experts watching the case say this could be the push Bitcoin needs to be embraced by governments. What do you think about this? Yeah, so uh, before the show, you're like, hey, I know we've talked about this before, poker. What, what does this have to do with poker? So I'm going to bring it up to poker here. Right? Thank you. So, um, obviously, there's lots of vendors now that are, are accepting Bitcoin. You know, I think Amazon does, some restaurants and other stores are. So it is becoming a, a legitimate form of payment even though this judge has clearly made it not money, right? Hmm. Um, that, that seals with clubs of online poker site, which got shut down, used all Bitcoin, and um, and obviously it probably drew the ire of folks, um, not just because it was an online poker site operating um, without a license in the United States, but because it was using Bitcoin, which is, you know, anonymous. So, um, so I think with this, this decision, again, it's just one judge in Florida, but um, it... it you know, articles I was reading is, you know, Bitcoin, I don't think really is excited about the shadow transactions, shadowy transactions that are being used. You know, you know uh, this particular case was a drug case, I believe. Um, uh, oh, no, it's a stolen credit card case. Right, but yeah, stolen credit cards. It's also been used, um, you know, that Silk Road drug case. That's what I was thinking of. You know, some people can argue. Obviously, the online poker is unsavory, so it's been used in places that people, you know, kind of want to keep anonymous, right? Right. And Bitcoin, uh, the people behind Bitcoin, though, for it to become mainstream and very popular, it's going to have to kind of shed that a little bit and be and, and get some kind of legitimacy, right? So uh, this is kind of what they needed: is they needed the judge to say, "Hey, th- this is not really money." So now they can go to governments and say, "Hey, we want to be money. What do we need to do to be money?" Mm. Um, and if it gets to be established like that, then um, you know certainly it could help uh, poker players in general. I mean, I think the D Casino in Las Vegas already takes uh, bitcoins, um, so more casinos would would take it so if there are listeners out there that enjoy the bitcoin currency i've never been part of it so i don't really know um this is a decision that actually could help make it more legitimate um uh and then i guess the flip side you could say is that the judge without saying so essentially said hey this isn't currency so there's you, you can't money launder which is what they're talking about because it's not money yeah um, so it does open up, at least in the interim, um, a little bit more emboldened activity on people that want to use it for activities that they are, might be a little worried about, um, which could be online poker. All right. All right. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals rookie Corey Tyndall this month was robbed at gunpoint while playing poker in a Super 8 motel room in Huntington, West Virginia. According to a report, Tyndall and a friend were playing cards with two men they knew only by nicknames when one of the guys pointed a semi-automatic pistol at them, made them lay on the ground, struck Tyndall with the gun twice, and then made off with 2400 bucks, cell phones, and a set of rental car keys. Longtime Antioch listener Rob Paul Chapman has suggested we chat about what makes a good home game. 
How about we list some of the things that make uh, for a bad one instead? Yeah, so Rob Fallwood did uh, messaging, or uh, I think he said she sent an email about uh, home game and how much fun it was and wanted us to kind of do a show uh, about what makes a good home game. And I kind of told him we, we've gone over that quite a lot. I mean, I, maybe it's time for us to refresh um, that list for folks. But then I saw this story and I'm like, you know, I think the best advice we can give you for running a home game is what not to do, right? Yeah. So I'm going to start with this. Um, if you're invited to a poker game at a Super 8 motel, that's probably not a home game you want to play it, right? <laughs> location, location, location. Yes, exactly. Uh, if you show up and the only two guys in the room are Flaky and Johnson, <laughs> you don't know who they are, where they are, that's probably not a home game you want to play in, right? <laughs> at first I thought you were describing what kind of people they are, and then you were telling me that's what their nicknames were. <laughs> Flaky and Johnson. Hey, it's Flaky. Hey, I'm Johnson. Go on in and play our home game. Oh, man. Uh, and, you know, I'm not suggesting that you install a metal detector at your home game um, or you subject everybody to a pat-down. But I will suggest this. If you were playing in a Super 8 motel room with somebody called Flaky and Johnson, you might want to be sure that they're not uh, packing heat. <laughs> That doesn't make for a good home game, right? <laughs> Next time we have a home game, we're going to pat down Faso. <laughs> All right, Faso. I'll make sure you're not packing heat. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I would say uh, if you're playing in a Super 8 motel room uh, with guys named Flaky and Johnson, who you haven't patted down and apparently are packing heat, you probably don't want to do that when you just sign a ma uh, National Football League contract. Yeah. That's probably not a home game you want to be in, right? Yeah. yeah. They got those performance clauses or whatever you call them, and they, they, you got to make sure that you're on the upright. What, what do they call those clauses that you got to make sure? Integrity clauses yeah, or something, you know? Oh, man. Any updates? The Antioch Poker Tour will be returning to Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, with a nine-event series that runs October 28th to November 9th and ends with an $800 buy-in 100K guarantee main event, the winner of which will appear on the cover of Antioch Magazine. For all the details, visit antiochmagazine.com slash Pearl River. And Scarlet Pearl Casino Resort, the newest casino in Biloxi, Mississippi area, will award five Annie Up Poker Cruise packages for a November 14th sailing out of Tampa, Florida in three drawings October 7th to the 9th. Players can earn entries with every hour of cash game play, every full house they get, and by entering Big Slick's 30K Poker Open. That's the name of the poker room, right? The Big Slick Poker Room? Yep. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. And finally, congrats to Jay, Jim, and Jay Zeman, for winning last week's weekly winners tournament and $500 at AntioPokerRoom.com. Two other finishers earned $300 and $200 respectively. AntioPokerRoom.com costs $14.95 a month and is open to players in 25 states where sweepstakes laws allow play. Yeah, so 500 bucks for a $15 investment every single week. So yep. get in there and play, folks. Yep. Uh, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us a podcast at antiupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year just like we do with Call the Four in Hand of the Week we send them something cool comes from Rich Bodner the casino I play at has a bad beat and royal jackpot the bad beat is always over 100k and the royals usually hit between 1k and 3k I almost hit a royal with four to the flop so it made me think how much do you tip the dealer if you win 
I was thinking 10%, but not sure if that is a fair amount. If I would have hit it, it would have been $7,800 and the tax form would have been issued. Can I get the tip removed from the actual amounts that I won so I am not responsible for paying tax on the tip? All right, let's start with the second question. No. No, definitely not. Sorry. Yeah. You can work out a deal with a bunch of guys and then we don't have to pay anything yeah. and they get the money back yeah. from them. <laughs> Unfortunately, they will not remove the tip uh, from your your tax form, so you will be paying taxes on that tip, which is unfortunate. Um, but I would say that's not a reason not to be generous to the dealers. Um, it is commonplace to tip in these cases, just as it's commonplace to tip after you win a pot or you cash in a tournament. Um, but the the level you uh, tip at is again, you know, I hate when people ask us this because it's a personal preference. You know, that's right. some. Some people tip 20% in a restaurant every single time. Other people are like, wow, it's going to have to be good service for them. They get 20%. Otherwise, I'm giving 15 or 10. Um, who's right? Who's wrong there? No one, right? It's, it's a personal preference. There are, um, unfortunately, there's not a mismanners for poker that I have found yet that has a, <laughs> you know, you know, there's things that have these uh, estimated guides on what you should tip, you know, uh, you know, bellmen for helping you with your luggage and, and drinks and that kind of stuff. Uh, we don't have one of those in poker. Um, it, it would be helpful, I think. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know what to tell Rich on that. I think um, our general advice, uh, particularly when you cash in a tournament, is to tell the folks that are paying you what, what is customary in this room to tip for this tournament. Uh, and that would probably be the same advice I would give you for this and hopefully they will give you a guide, and, and if they just uh, dance around the issue like we are, then you're kind of on your own, and um, at that point, I think you just got to figure out what you think is uh, appropriate. Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you all he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home of the Andy Up Group discussions. Comes from John Pren, and I'm not sure if it's Pren or Preen, but I think it's Pren because of the H. I'm going to go with Pren, yeah. which means probably Preen. Yeah, so all right. John says, I was in a weekly tournament at a Detroit casino. Pre-flop, the player immediately to the left of the button pushed all in. The player on the dealer button pushed all in, and the small blind threw in a single chip, thinking he was calling the first amount. When he learned the button had pushed all in for more, he mucked. Calling the first all in, he would have had chips left. Calling the second all in, he was all in. The floor was called. The player would not put all his chips in the pot, so the floor did it for him. The cards could not be pulled from the muck as they were mixed in with the other cards. The player was forced to watch the next five cards get dealt and got felted. I question the floor's decision since this seemed to go against the rule that a player cannot be felted without cards in front of him. The player was obviously in the wrong by not cooperating with the floor, but would be better. De- would the better decision have been to force a smaller call? Elliot says, "Interesting situation you describe here. You don't mention any sight, uh, a line of sight issues, but it seems like the dealer in between the button and a small blind during this hand. In any event, the all uh, the all in players are ultimately responsible for paying attention. All players are, are responsibly ultimately responsible for paying attention to the action. The question that begs to be asked here." How does anyone know for the fact that the small blind threw in a single chip thinking he was calling the first amount until way after the chip was in the pot when the small blind finally finally spoke up uh, when he was asked to complete the call? It is neither dealers nor the floor person's job to assume a thought on the part of the small blind. The player put a chip in the pot, and when it's his turn to act, 
um, after uh, it's his turn to act after the only other players in the pot were both all in. Rule 46 of the TDA rule states silently betting chips relatively tiny to the bet. Example blinds 2K, 4K, um, A bets 50K, B and silently puts out 1K chip is non standard, strongly discouraged, subject to penalty, and will be interpreted at TD's discretion, including being ruled a full call. I'm not certain that was the that this was a bet of a tiny chip, but the discretion still applies as the undersized bet was not verbalized. All this is being said, I would not have ruled a full call on the spot because I am loath to decision someone out of a tournament. Enforcing the full call on the spot is not a horrible result as the small blind was intent on closing the action by calling it all in bet, and his hand would have been shown. Any collusion concerns or worry, worries about that person cannot be felted without cards in front of them would quickly dissipate. I'm disappointed that the dealer didn't try to keep the cards out of the muck in a situation that was unclear and incomplete, as the dealer not protecting the hand should not ever make the dealer responsible for preventing the player from being eliminated due to an unclear bet made by that player. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a brutal way to go out, you know. And I, I remember, I always think back when uh, Sam was around and we used to play at his room, and I remember him always saying, you know, you can't have an all-in and not see all the cards. So if this guy, if you can't see this guy's cards, how can he get knocked out of the tournament? You know, he mucked, but it's got to be a way to keep him in the tournament and keep everybody happy. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's a weird thing, and you don't want to read the guy's mind either, like he said. That's that's brutal. Yeah, um, it's definitely a, a sad moment when you have to, you know, rule somebody out of a tournament like this. Um but I think we also have to, you know, look at all of the responsible parties here. So, and unfortunately, the blind uh, that got uh, felted from this tournament is responsible for following the action. Yeah. And, you know, they had a lot of discussion of TDA by this uh, single chip thing, which I guess is really popular in Europe and is now uh, unfortunately spreading through the United States as a way of signifying a call. It's sloppy, um, it's lazy. Um, it's been accepted other places, so it's becoming more accepted other places. And this is an example of why it's sloppy and lazy because, you know, the player is signifying he called, and then he goes, oops, sorry, I didn't know there was a bigger bet here. I don't even want to call that little bet over there, please. Yeah. And had he only put in uh, that call amount, um, then that's all the money that they probably could have taken from him, right? Yeah. He had a, we, he had the option of folding at that point or um, completing the bet, and then he wouldn't have been illuminated, eliminated had he uh, properly done that. Now, that being said, I mean, we're big on the show about talking about verbal, so uh, I, I think at this point, before that guy would put that mount in, he probably would say call, and then that compels him to the larger amount anyhow. So yeah. uh, really his bigger mistake was just not paying attention to the, the betting. But... Um, Ellie brings up a good point about the dealer taking the cards and, and mucking them and then not giving this player an option of, of, of staying in the tournament. So I don't, you know, I, I guess the quote-unquote fair way to keep the player from being eliminated is to make him just call the small amount um, and keep the rest of the chips and then probably get a penalty um, where he might end up getting eliminated <laughs> depending on how many chips he has left. Um, but you know, you know, here's the thing: is that I think we're focused on what's the fairest thing for that player. Now there are eight, nine other players at that table, yep. and so if we say, "Oops, sorry," well, you're going to be knocked out if we actually enforce this correctly. So we're going to do this so you stay in the tournament. Is that fair to the rest of us? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But 
you know, I'll tell you this, in, in that tournament um, Tuesday that cashed, um, that guy that I had all um, dead to the, the jacks and he hit his car, he went, on, he went on to be one of the final four of the chopped for 1500 bucks. And had he been eliminated, <laughs> I would, he wouldn't yeah. have done that, right? Yeah, so yeah. I never like a player staying in the tournament. You know, I never like – there were a bunch of um, in that tournament where people were left with a single chip. And, of course, we always laugh and they, you know, go out in the next couple hands. Um, um, but they're not out of the tournament, right? The whole chip in the chair. So uh, those players can come back. And we have seen in that World Series event, right? Came back from one chip. And, right. Went on forever. So, uh, uh, as another player, uh, as a player like me who generally follows the action, I, I'm not perfect, but I have a pretty good batting average in following the action. Uh, I don't throw the single chip in. I don't do any of the stuff that this player did. I feel a little violated when a TD has compassion for that player, keeps him in the tournament, and then that guy turns around and knocks me out at some point. Yeah. I, I wonder, and not to extend this too much longer, but I wonder. You know, in a does a four person take the dealer's actions into consideration here? You know, saying he's kind of uh, complicit in the fact that this guy, you know, was forced to muck his cards because he turned his cards over. The dealer knew what was going on. The dealer knew that bet many had to call, so he could should have stopped the cards and said, "Hey, you know, you're all in. You can't muck here. It's an all in tournament situation. You have to show your cards." And stops him from mucking, but he didn't. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, although, I mean, this is the thing that kind of gives everybody the, the burnt toast here, right? Is uh, that the dealer is responsible for running the game, but usually is absolved from any problems that affect the game, right? Yeah, and I'm not saying you go and you say, "Oh, the dealer did this," so. Be-, but I'm just saying, since the dealer sort of pro- provided a situation where you can't retrieve the cards, whereas the, the, the dealer knows the rules of the game, he knows the rules of the of the process. He makes the the people bet in order from left to right. He makes the small blind post a small blind. He makes the big blind post a big blind if they don't. So he should also or she should also say, hey, you know, you you're all in now, so you can't muck here, you know, and and hold on to the card, stop the card, because he's he's running the game, and because he didn't run according to the rules, that guy's all in. He knows the rules are. That guy has to show all his cards. And he didn't. So I'm just curious if the if the I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying would the tournament director or the floor come over now and take that into consideration before eliminating this player with no cards? And it seems like he didn't. And I wonder if others would. I think I would. I would say, okay, hang on. You know, everybody not everybody's guilty here, but not everybody's innocent either. So um, I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah, well, I'm curious about the muck. How did he muck? Did he fling his cards into the muck, or did he just Fold in front of him, right? And yeah. that would be the the key thing I would ask. I don't think that was described here. I'm reading back what John wrote, and it wasn't described. So um, obviously, if he flung them into the mock, then that's more on him than the dealer, I think. But if he just threw them forward and the dealer scooped them up, the dealer should know that it's an all in situation and those cards need to be exposed. Um, yeah. And so then she or she or he or she. Um, interfered with the play of the game um so i still don't know how you solve that other than i guess the, the best case is that call the small blinds so you're not eliminated i mean a small bet so you're not eliminated because you, you can't now you get into that whisper rule where you whisper what my cards were and then like, you digging through the muck yeah yeah and that's never fun i don't think so i don't know bad situation all around but uh, i would say for our our listeners out there you know quit doing this single chip thing quit Quit just in general. Quit just being lazy at the table. You know, <laughs> poker is not a. This is not an extreme sport, right? 
you know, no one walks away from the poker table sweating and, you know, run to the showers afterwards, right? So let's let's put a little bit more effort into it, folks, please. <laughs> Uh, well, someone who's going to need a shower, I think, is O'Malley after this uh, new move. So we're going to uh, complete O'Malley's move today. We're going to remind ourselves here with part one. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $1, $2, no limit hold'em casino cash game. The action has been pretty steady all night, exactly what you would expect from a 1-2 game. There are a couple of maniacs, a couple of loose passives, some solids, and a few there just wanting to have fun. We've been playing for about an hour and sit with 250, up 50. The blinds post, the under the gun limps, plus one calls, plus two folds, MP and MP1 call, hijack folds, cutoff folds, and we're on the button with the ten of spades, ten of hearts. With so many limpers in this pot, we want to bump it up, but we want to do so in a way that makes it too expensive for speculative hands to come along. We make it $20 to go. The blinds fold, and the only call we get is from the end of the gun. Interesting. This guy is a solid player, but can be tricky. He was here before we got here, and he sits with 400 There's about $50 in the pot, and the flop is a good one. The ace of diamonds, ten of clubs, four of diamonds comes down. The end of the gun checks quickly, and we want to make sure we price out any draws. But if this guy hit an ace, we could really exploit that. We make it $40 to go. The end of the gun thinks briefly before calling. With $90 in the pot, the turn is the four of hearts. Perfect. The end of the gun checks again, and this time we want to make a value bet. $40. The end of the gun thinks for a short period of time before tripling our bet to $120. What's going on here? What's the move? I'm always cautious of an under-the-gun raiser, especially one who calls a pre-flop raise. So everything about this hand to me screams pocket aces. Um, if I'm wrong, nice play, Mr. Opponent. Um, but I'm begrudgingly going to fold here. Yeah, it is very suspicious, and it has me concerned. I know it's aces, yet for some reason I'm not folding. I, I can't fold. If it were Omaha, I could fold maybe, but hold them? Man, that's so hard to do. Uh, given that he is tricky, he could very well be limping with aces under the gun. Ugh. I, I call, but I know we're going to lose here. I just know it. Here we go. Hello again. What's this guy's angle? Is he on a bluff? Or does he have some sort of monster? Let's see. He limped pre-flop, called our raise, check called our flop bet, and then check raised our bet on the turn. Wow. This is really starting to point to a monster. It's times like these I wish I was a better poker player. We shove. Our opponent snap calls and turns over ace-ace. We bust. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying set over set does happen, but not very often. Was there another play here? I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, all right, so Malley asked if there's another play. Um, the only thing I can think of is checking the turn, but that doesn't make any sense. So, um, no. <laughs> I think the only alternative was to fold. Sorry. Yeah, I knew in my gut we were losing, and I just, uh, I mean, maybe that's the lesson. You know, listen to your gut. If you've been playing poker long enough, and your gut is just telling you, ah, oh, I'm beat, no matter how good that hand looks, no matter how well you hit it, if your gut is telling you something, listen to it. And my gut, before, when I heard this first part, my gut was like, He's got to have aces here, but I just couldn't I couldn't pry myself away from this hand, and I should have. So that's the lesson I'm taking from it, is if my gut tells me something, I'm going to listen to it from now on. 
Yeah, I'll say the one mistake I made in that Omaha event last night um, was uh, I, I had top hair and I was leading out just because no one else showed any interest. Um, on the turn, Broadway was out there and I let out everybody folded except for my opponent who raised. So I immediately said, oh, all right, that's Broadway because that's what it is in Omaha, right? Yeah. Like one more bet because at that point I, I had two pair so I could um, uh, I could boat up. Uh, and I also had a backdoor Broadway draw as well too. So I called the bet, missed all that on the river, checked, she bet, and of course I called. Now, you know, in limit, you know, we always say that, you know, you can make that, you have to make, be wrong in that play like 10 times to make it um, not profitable. But it's a different story when you know that has to be what they have. You know, that was like a 93% possibility that she had Broadway there. Um, and now that that messes up all the odds, but I just threw in the bet anyhow, and she turned over ace-jack, and I'm like, yep, stupid. Super Scott. Yeah, and we always talk about, when we first started the show, we used to always talk about in Limit, you're trying to save a bet as yeah. much as possible and extract a bet as much as possible, and in this case, you knew you could have saved a bet, and you didn't, and uh, just because it wasn't Hold'em doesn't mean it's not the same you know, axiom that applies, so... Yeah, yeah, but your point was about, you know, the more we play, the smarter we get and the smarter decisions we should be making. Yeah, so. correct. All right, it's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at animagazine.com. Uh, this one comes from um, uh, frequent contributor Dave Beeson, and he says, uh, hey, guys, loving the podcast. Hey, Dave, we're loving you sending us hands. <laughs> Uh, one, two, no limit hold'em game in a local casino. It's nine-handed, and uh, Hero is on the button with 240 up from uh, his starting stack, 200. Folds around to the villain in the cutoff, who raises to seven, and he describes her as a fairly regular player and kind of passive, but will bet when she has a hand. I think she likes to play suited anything, as a few hands ago she went to showdown with seven of hearts, four of hearts. She has me covered by about 40 bucks. And we are next to act on the button with Queen of Hearts, Queen of Spades. Shove. <laughs> uh, Sometimes that works, as I yeah. found on my tournament on Tuesday. There you go. I'm shoving. What are you doing? No. Um. <laughs> let's see. So she raised a 7 and a 1-2. That seems kind of small. Uh, but that could be the standard in this game. So, I don't know. If she makes a 7, I'd probably make a 25. Yeah, I was going to say exactly 25. Maybe even 30, but 30 seems a little bit much. But yeah, 25 it seems, seems kind of like You want to be a significant bet, so they have to think about it, um, but not so much that... I, I mean, I kind of want action with this. I want one action with this. I don't want a bunch of action. Um, you just don't want the blinds to come along for that cheap price. If you, if yeah, you make it something that, like, you know, 15 or double her or something, they're going to come along with these two, you know, random hands that have money invested in the pot already and getting a good price, and they're going to snap you off. So you want to make it enough to get them out at least and get heads up with this woman. Yeah, absolutely. So I think 25 is fair. Okay. All right. Our hero raises to 17, and he says, likely my first mistake should have raised more. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what the blinds do, but, yeah, you've you've given the blinds something to think about at least. You yeah, know, I mean bets were, I mean, again, think about your own stack. You're at 240. So, you know, the rule of 10%, you know, that bet is less than 10% of your stack. I don't know what everybody else's stack is, but everybody else has a similar stack. Now they're the right to be calling with small pairs and things like that. Yeah, that's that's a that's kind of a smallish bet there. Um, Alright, he says, the blinds fold, though, and the villain calls. So, in the end, I guess it worked out. You know, we got what we wanted. 
one collar and we did it at a lower price so yeah i uh, guess it, the, the thing is that it, yeah i guess so i mean we want we want action i guess with these queens obviously um it's just you hope that you made it pricey enough that the the woman calling is doing it with a hand that you can kind of narrow the range on rather than like you talked about she went down the showdown with seven four before right you know what i mean so now you're thinking well did you really narrow her range with a ten dollar raise to her i don't know if you did i'm not saying that you wouldn't narrow your range with the first bet i mean you gotta see some cards to really see how they're the hands playing but to me it just feels like she could still have any two cards now because you only made a ten dollars more to her yeah, and I guess what I was saying is generally, you know, you you want to affect whatever result you want or risking the least amount of money. So, I mean, what we wanted here was to get heads up with this woman, and we did. Yeah. And we did it at $8 cheaper than you and I would have. So, um, but he also said likely my first mistake, so I assume there's going to be more mistakes to come here. So <laughs> maybe betting that 25 or 30 that we were advocating would have solved those, but I guess we'll see. Uh, all right, $37 in the pot. Flop is the Jack of Hearts, Queen of Diamonds, Eight of Spades. And our hero goes woohoo, as he should. Yeah, top set. He checks to us. Well, we got a bet here. We took uh, we took control of the hand. We re-raised. Anything less than a bet would be very suspicious. Plus, it's a pretty coordinated board. I mean, she could already be check, checking to you with nine ten, hoping to check raise of the straight already. Yeah. Um, but you can't think that way. You need to bet again because if you don't bet again, and she has nothing, you know, and, you, and she catches up later, she's still going to be like, eh, you know, why did he check the flop? You know, it, it's it, there's no reason to check this flop, especially when it looks, you know, somewhat coordinated. Two Broadway cards generally hit a hand that would call a raise or make a raise in some fashion so why aren't you protecting your hand now are you really afraid did you do that with tens and now you're afraid that's the only only plausible reason to check and even then you've taken control of this hand you still are supposed to bet here you know it's not like you're thinking outside the box so i i would probably bet so we say there's 17 so 34 37 in the pot we said so yeah i'd bet like 25 maybe 20 25 Five again. I want to. I want a higher than a half pot bet here. Maybe yeah. three. But I think a whole pot. My problem with betting a whole pot is there is an outside chance that she's sitting there with nine, ten, right? Yeah. Um, it's also possible that she has a set of jacks or aces. It's probably going to raise us here. So that's what I'm kind of worried about. Is that obviously there's only one hand that has this beat right now, um, and kind of unlikely that she has it, but. You know, if we get raised here, I want to be careful that we're not getting too committed too quickly here. Um, and there's danger to come here. I mean, we have another Broadway card. We have another, um, uh, well, we don't have to worry about the flush right now. But a Broadway card could come on the next one. And, you know, that could be a problem for us. So yeah, yeah. I want a significant bet, but I don't want to commit more than I have to, much like I did uh, pre-flop. So 25 seems fine to me. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, so our hero says, I did not feel that she hit any of it, and hoping to get more value, I checked behind. It's likely my second mistake. Should have bet 30 or so. Yep. Yeah. yeah wh- why, what gives you that feeling that she didn't hit any of it? That's that's an interesting statement there. You know, Even if she didn't hit it, you've gotten some money out of this hand already if, if you rate, bet now and take it down. I mean, you still made some money. You didn't get maximum value of someone's complete stack or anything, but... You know what? What happens now if another card comes off that, like a nine? 
you know, now all of a sudden all this person needs is a 10 or a 10 and all this person needs is a nine to make a four card straight. And you're sitting there with a set and, you know what I mean? You've got to bet here. I don't care if you hit it really, really hard. Checking it is kind of a weak play to me, especially since you've taken control of his hand. You need to keep betting. That, that, that just gives that person a chance to hit four cards straight now or even pick up a flush draw on the next card. And then they're not going to go anywhere for your smallish bet now because not enough money in there to make a big bet because you didn't bet the flop. You know, you just you're opening yourself up to just getting sucked out on. Well, I, and the other thing I'll add to that too is if you feel as she didn't hit any of it, um, that means she could have some of the cards that she could draw to, right? Yeah. Unless he's considering that not hitting any of it, but you know, if I have Ace King here, you're right. I didn't hit any of this, but a ten comes on that turn and you're dead. You got to make them pay for the, the person pay for the street. If he didn't hit any of this, too, I mean, and if it's not ace-king, then what, it's a smaller pair of some sort? Then they already have a made hand of some sort. I mean, obviously, it's not great now compared to what we have, but um, I think the reason that she didn't, uh, thinking that she didn't hit anything is actually a reason for me to bet here and make sure she doesn't hit anything. Yeah. Um, Because there are things that she could hit that (laughs) will beat us. Yeah. Um, also, and the and the pot is going to stay smaller now. It's going to stay thirty seven. So, what happens if uh, she's got suited cards and another one of her suits um, shows up on the turn? Now you're going to bet twenty five or thirty, which is you should have bet now, and then she probably will call it. And now you kept her along for two cards instead of making her pay now. Yeah, let's just for a second here. We talked about narrowing range earlier. Let's just for a second now think about what types of hands could raise preflop in her position in the cutoff or might raise preflop and then see a re-raise from you and then call that re-raise and then check that flop. I would say pocket nines. Pocket nines could do that. So now you're giving pocket nines a chance to just spike a pocket 10 for free. Yeah. Even yeah. pocket tens now because now what would pocket tens do if they saw a jack and a queen on this board? They would check this flop. And so now you're giving that person a chance to turn a nine for free. So right there is two specific hands that would raise free flop and then call a re-raise because it, you don't want to go crazy with a pair of nines. The re-raise could have you dead, which you would, right? Just remember, light re-raise, too. Yeah, so there's a perfect example of two hands there. And even ace-king. Even ace-king would raise and then call a re-raise. Probably wouldn't re-re-raise in a, po- in a cash game where they'd probably just call. And now, okay, well, now I'll check because I didn't hit any of it, but I can still hit a gutter here or even my two overs, so I'm going to stick around if you make a bet. But if you don't make a bet, now you've got a free chance to hit the 10. So there are at least three hands that would play this hand exactly the way it's being played. Maybe even something other ace, a suited ace, an ace 10 or something could get there with a king on the turn. So there are a lot of hands that you have to make pay here. You can't check. You just can't. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the turn is the King of Diamonds. Uh, so now our board is Jack of Hearts, Queen of Diamonds, Eight of Spades, King of Diamonds, and this is all the trouble that we were talking about. Uh, now there's obviously a flush draw on there, and Broadway's made it, and the villain, um, not surprisingly, bets 20 bucks. Now, there's the other thing, too. Now, I'm not saying that King King is in the, is in the fold here, but it could have been King King, too. There are so many players who will raise with their hand, get re-raised when they have aces or kings, and then just smooth call to try to trap you. 
And then in this case, they were trying to trap you and hope that you would bet and then check raise you on the flop, and then you didn't bet. So now they come alive when they hit their set of kings because you'll never believe they have a set of kings. You know, there, there, there's so many ace ten, ace ten gets there now. You know, and that same, obviously, that same nine ten we talked about improved. But this could be why the person's betting out because now they've made their hand and they want to get money for it, and you've let them get there for free. So I'm not going crazy. I'm probably still, I'm probably still calling or raising here. I just don't know yet. Um, I, I may just call because. I want to see if I boat up on the river before I commit my entire stack to this or commit more chips to this. I, $20 is a, is a decent bet because we didn't bet the flop, so maybe I just call and see what this person's willing to do on the river. Maybe they'll bluff into me on the river, or if they have it, maybe I boat up and then can re-raise. Or, you know, I, I can see myself raising because I want to protect more, but I also can see myself calling. I don't know if I'm putting more pot more into a pot that I just let somebody catch up. Yeah, I know it. That's why I think calling might be the right play here. Like at this point, because we got cute on the flop, that we're going to have to pay the price, and pay the price is not getting as much value out of this hand if we are ahead. Yeah. So maybe just a call is in order here, because you're hoping to fill up on the river. And if you don't fill up on the river, then you, know, then you let them bet. They're not going to bet all their stack into you on the river, they're going to want to get value too, so maybe you're saving yourself some money if they did happen to make Broadway or right. Now you're going to keep the pot small in case you are beat that it's going to keep yeah, so I think I'm just going to have to and, call. You know, i got to mention here too, what about Ace-10 of Diamonds here too, which is what we talked about before, is that you know, you had a gut shot here, actually it wasn't a gut shot, it would have been open-ended and we, and they hit it, but now they have a redraw in case you know, it just makes it worse for us, so yeah. And not that it really affects our hand here because, you know, we're already beaten. You know, if we boat up, we boat up. Yeah, I mean, ideally you'd want to boat up with the eight, eight of diamonds so that they get their flush and then, yeah, you know, yeah. or whatever. But uh, that's a very specific wish. You know, you might as well rub a lamp, too, and ask for some other stuff. <laughs> um, all right, so the villain bet 20. Um, our opponent says uh, – I mean, our hero, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Dave. I mean, turn you into an opponent already. <laughs> Our hero says, I think she has hit the king, possibly holding any two diamond. Ultimately, a suited king rag is where I put her, and I think her I have her beat with my set. Um, well, if that's the case, then yeah, you definitely have to raise, but that seems to be a very narrow holding there, right? Yeah, very specific. And it's this feel that I don't know that Dave, where he's getting these things from. I understand when you know, you're used to the way a player plays and they're giving off tells or they're doing things they've done before but we're not privy to that information so when he says earlier you know i feel like i didn't hit her and now i feel like king rag that's just like a very specific he's got these very specific feelings about this player it's hard to in a game of incomplete information it's very difficult to have these very specific feelings so i I would be cautious here um all right so he raises to 40 and the villain re-raises to 140. Yeah, now, now you know you you got to be beat now. There is no way that this person is going in with one pair or a flush draw. You know, I mean, it, there's just no way. And you did the crafty little, guess what, I min-raise you because I've got this huge hand and I can afford to just min-raise you, you know, and then they're saying, no, really? Here you go. Here's another 100 on top of that. That's how confident I am that your little min-raise means nothing to me. So now you know you're beat, and you don't get to see the river unless you want to basically shove. And if you're beat, you have to hit to boat 
Whereas if you just called the twenty, you'd probably be looking at a forty dollar bet on the river, and you you know what I mean. If you got your boat, then you can raise. I I just think you've opened up the betting for no reason here, and yeah. you're, you're going to cost yourself probably your whole stack, and she's going to turn over ace ten. Wow, yeah, you could cost your stack, or you could cost yourself uh, a winning hand here because I'm not calling this one hundred x yeah. hundred bucks. I think I really got to be behind here. And I'm not willing. And you're right. If I call it, then, then I leave about 80 behind. And, you know, I guess I'll leave 80 behind. Um, I, I don't really see the purpose in shoving here because, you know, that's an extra 80 at that point. I mean, this person has to have something, right? So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't see any re- I guess I don't see any reason in shoving my extra 80. But it's going to cost me another 100 to see the river, of which it's going to have to pair the board for me to win, I think. Yeah, that's how we feel, at least. I would rather just fold here and, you know, kick myself in the nuts later on for playing it so passively. Yeah. Then I would put my whole stack in, um, or another hundred bucks here at least, um, and then kick myself in the nuts for playing this so passively. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting the right price to walk away and kicking my nuts. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> Folding <it> here. <laughs> if I'm going to kick my nuts, I, I would like that to just to be my 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 punishment, not having to pay an extra hundred dollars for the privilege of doing so. So let me ask you, I forgot now. So we make it forty. She re-raises to one hundred and forty. How much do we have right now in our stack? You said about eighty. About one hundred and eighty left. So oh, about one hundred and eighty. Okay, okay. Oh, so, well, about eighty left, and we shove that obviously. All right. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I'm folding. It's a significant amount, I guess. So I mean, if the villain is bluffing at that point, then and she's got uh, covered us by forty, so she has one hundred and twenty left. So. If she is bluffing there and we shove, then I guess she has to be in the same decision that I'm in right now where I'm like, hey, it's not worth it and fold. But that it, it seems really, really unlikely to me that she doesn't have something here that she would call that extra 80 if we shoved just in case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I see. I think I'm folding too. I, I, I There's no way I'm just going to call this and have 80 left. That's kind of silly. And I don't think shoving is the right play because I – there's no way we're, we're ahead now. I just can't imagine her, her making that move behind a set of queens. So the only yeah, I just can't. I can't imagine. I'm gonna have to fold now. And well, just, I suppose there's some kind of two pair combination here that that she might have. So um, maybe two pair with a diamond redraw might work. So it's possible that we're still ahead. But so Jack eight of diamonds. That's a very specific hand too. That's yeah. the only hand that does the redraw. That's probably true. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, Oof. I don't know. Oof. I think we're behind. We're folding. I'm folding. I mean, depending on how strong this player is, I mean, she's been striped as some of the plays, and he suited anything. You know, I guess it is possible that she could have king queen here and have two pair, and we have crushed. Um, I mean, she did only bet twenty into this pot, which well, I guess is about half the pot, a little bit more than half the pot. But does somebody really and raise again with two pair? Check. So, I mean, we, we, we indicated to her that we were not interested in this flop. It just seems odd to me that this person would now wake up and bet two pair, which is fine. That first bet seems fine for two pair. You want to say, you know what, you check the flop, so now I've got two pair, I'm going to bet you. But then do you really, no matter what the two pair is, when we min-raise, do you really just make it 100 more with two pair? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm grasping a straw. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess you could probably put us very narrowly on ace-king and think that we're good with ace-king when we actually, she has king-queen or king-jack or king-eight or whatever. I don't know. 
if you had Ace King, would you really min raise with just one pair? So it just seems like if this person has any kind of cognitive skills, they would right. know that you wouldn't be min raising with one pair. And if they had two pair, they wouldn't sho- basically shove or almost shove with a hundred. So I, I think that this this person definitely has. It's probably Broadway. It's probably Ace Ten, or it could still be Nine Ten. Just seems like if Nine Ten. Yeah, they were trying to trap us on that flop. So either way, I think this this person has the straight, some straight to beat us, and we're we're gonna have to hit if we call. Yeah, them. some straight and probably not a redraw, and that's why the bet's so big. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Kind of trying to get what value they can out of the hand now, so they don't get somebody. We don't catch up to them, which the, is what we probably should have been doing earlier in the hand. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hero shoves his remaining eighty-ish, um, and she calls, turning over Ace of Hearts, Ten of Hearts. Yeah. So all right. So he shoved his remaining eighty over the hundred and forty. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because that was only one twenty. Yeah. All right. So in other words, so he basically puts on. Um, what? He puts one hundred eighty more 100, in the pot. One hundred eighty more in the pot. Okay. Man. So, yeah. yeah ace, ace Broadway. Ten. I was blindsided by diamonds. Rivers of blank, and I utter a vigorous bah. <laughs> and his last question: Is there any defense to checking the flop, hoping the turn would give her a reason to call? Um, not on this board. No, if that jack of hearts is a deuce of clubs, then maybe you know because the, the nine ten. But even that, I mean, you still have an eight out there. I yeah, mean, I don't know. I mean, if I'm looking to trap at this point, I want it to be. I don't even know what it would be. Obviously, I'm a queen, and maybe do seven rainbow. Yeah. yeah. Then it's a super dry board, and I mean, there's no straights or flushes that could come. So the only cards that could come on that next on a turn that would beat us would be an ace or a king, assuming we're up against a pair. Otherwise, nothing else is going to. Well, I guess a quads, the quads, possible. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but other than that, I mean, it, it, the, the difference is the board is super dry at that point. Here is really really wet. So you know, by checking. You know, you're going to hang yourself with something here. And, and the other thing too, the other thing too is like we we said earlier too. He didn't make a big enough re-raise pre-flop. So, like you said, if it came queen deuce and then or queen tray seven, you still can't even not put her on five six because she had seven to four of hearts earlier. So, you know, you right. really got to make her pay earlier and then control the pot later. And it just seemed like he just he made two mistakes early and then couldn't recover. Well, let's play it from her point of view here, too. So she made probably a somewhat loose raise with Ace, Ten of Hearts here. I mean, although it was cut, cut off. off. No, that's a great raise, cut off. <clears throat> and then got raised on the button, and then, like I said, it's only an extra 10 bucks. Now, if you made a 25 at that point, now she's got to put 18 in. And at that point, I'm worried that maybe you have bigger Ace, um, and then I'm going to have to hit my hearts to win. So right. maybe I fold there. But even if I don't, um, I guess what I'm getting at is on this flop, on this flop, that person definitely wants to see the turn for free, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what you gave her. You gave her, and, you know, let's think about it. when you're playing and you have this hand and you check and it gets checked behind, don't you do that little happy dance? In your oh, head? absolutely. There's a chance to hit a, a gutter for my Broadway and pick up a flush draw on the turn. Absolutely. You're ecstatic. Because now you've literally, it's like you literally for each street, if you only had to pay 17, it's like you paid eight on the flop and eight on pre-flop instead of, you know what I mean? You, you did it for such an affordable price now, too. You're so happy. 
I mean, even if that card doesn't get there on the turn, I'm still I'm going to be folding, smiling at that point on yeah. the next one. You know, yeah. because you gave me a shot that I I would not have paid a dollar to get, and you gave me a shot to hit it. And if I hit it, boy, I'm going to punish you. And that's exactly what happened here. And I love the bet out making Broadway because if even if you don't bet out, you know the person. You know, either they're going to fold because they're going to beat anyway, or they're going to call or raise you because they see that king and hit it with ace king or whatever. I love to bet into them now because now it looks like you're trying to steal it. Well, yeah, and and you got to protect too. I mean, I'm yeah. almost thinking that bet might was too small. I probably would have bet thirty there, but um, you got to protect now. I mean, you got lucky. You this guy gave you a free card to, to hit your gutter. You hit it, and now there's all kinds of trouble out there. Uh, I'm happy to just take it down now. I, I I got lucky. I got to, you know. Yeah. I, I don't want to tempt fate now after our fate uh, rewarded me. So, all right. Well, enjoy your time in California, my friend. You'll be coming from there again next week. Is that true? Oh uh, yeah, we're here all the way through. Uh, we'll make it the date correct. Uh, August the seventh is when everything finishes up. We have three events scheduled that day. I'm sorry, four events scheduled that day. Uh, plus the final of the main event. So, um, and then I uh, take off on Monday the 8th. So, yeah. well, come out and see well, me. Here's hoping you become the first two time horse champion. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I'm Chris Casenza. I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.